0: Welcome to the Tuesday Morning Men's Bible Study. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Park City's Presbyterian Church. And we are so glad that you're able to join us this morning online. During this pandemic, we want to get the Word of God out to you. And so I invite you now to grab a Bible, or you can go and download the handout that's right there on the webpage. And you can follow along as we work through Hebrews 11, and this morning, the book of Joshua as we study together the story of Rahab. Now, while you're turning there, I want to encourage you, as you watch this, if you are part of a table group and you haven't done so already, reach out to them, uh, ask them how they're doing, and then even find a way to meet together. Now, some of you might be thinking, how is that even possible? Well, many of our groups right now are meeting online through Zoom, Or through FaceTime. And so if you have not done that already, uh, reach out to others in your group. Find a way to meet, uh, even after this study this morning. Uh, We've got discussion questions there for you to work through on your own or in your table group. And as we always say every single week, that's where the real magic of this Bible study happens. It's not just a talking head like me uh, telling you what to think. But it's the Bible in community As we work through the word of God together. That means of grace that God uses to open us from the inside out and really show us who we are in Christ. All right, so this morning we're working our way again through the book of Hebrews chapter 11. This is the story of Rahab. Hebrews 11, I'll start reading in verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that you would be with us, that you would guide our study in the story of Rahab. We thank you for her example to us, particularly as men this morning, and we ask that you would show us the true and greater story that is here. Show us Jesus, we pray, in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but studying the Bible, and particularly studying the women of the Bible, as a man, can sometimes feel a little bit uneasy. It's one thing to study characters like Moses or David, as we've been doing, uh, even in this study, through the Hall of Faith. But it's another thing to study women. And if you've never paid attention to it, I want you to really uh, look through the Bible, maybe spend some time this week or next, and I want you to see just how celebrated women are in the Bible, and in particular, if you think about how they were treated uh, back in those days in these ancient cultures, uh, the way they were treated so low, and the the, the Bible really celebrates them, and in particular, celebrates their faith. The question for us this morning is: men is what can we learn from the women of the Bible? Uh, what can we learn? And perhaps uh, it reveals some of our pride, uh, maybe even some of our kind of male chauvinism that we'd wonder like, what can I even learn from a woman? But I, I want to challenge you this morning. There is a lot that we can learn from the women in our lives, whether if you're married or your mom's, uh, if you have uh, little women in your lives, like me, I've got three daughters. Uh, if you have friends, all of us probably have some interaction with women. We have a lot to learn, and I think as men we know that. We also have a lot to learn from Rahab, but before we get to her, one of the great themes of the Bible is that the people of God are the bride of Christ, that God is the husband. And you see this all over the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. In the Old Testament, the idea that the Old Testament people of God, Israel, is like a bride, betrothed to God as her husband. That's where the idea of covenant comes from. Even in a wedding, we talk about the covenant of marriage. God made a covenant with his people as his bride. In the New Testament, we see this language all over the place. The Apostle Paul talking about marriage and saying it's a, a profound mystery that refers to Christ and the church. And then, of course, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, we hear that Jesus Christ is going to return. And when he does, it's going to be as a bridegroom coming for his bride, the church. So, My question for you this morning as a man is, How does that shape the way that you think about your relationship with God? Do you think of yourself as his bride, as a man? Do you think of yourself as the bride of Christ? There's part of us as men that we don't quite know what to do with that. But it is essential to our identity as the people of God that we are his bride. And so yes, we have a lot to learn from the woman of the Bible because even the Bible describes us even yes as men as the bride of Christ and as we're going to see this morning we have a lot to learn from a woman a prostitute even named Rahab. This morning we're looking at her faith. Author of Hebrews mentions her faith in Hebrews 11 verses 30 and 31. The story of Rahab is centered around the story of Jericho. And if you've grown up in church, uh, you've been around um, the stories of the Bible, you've probably heard about Jericho and the walls that came tumbling down. Well, the idea of Rahab is a little bit less known. Uh, People don't always know her story, and it's a story that needs to be told. And so this morning, I want to look at her story in three ways. The first way is this. I want to look at her sin. I want to look at Rahab's sin. And what we're going to see is that Rahab really was a sinner. She was a prostitute. But what I want to challenge you with this is we are too. Uh, We are sinners just like Rahab. I want you to look there on your sheet or turn in your Bible to the book of Joshua. Uh, That's where we find the story of Jericho and the story of Rahab. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 it says in Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly to Shittim as spies saying go view the land especially Jericho okay so Joshua at this point in the the biblical story of the people of God uh, making their way to the promised land is sending out a uh, two spies on a reconnaissance mission And as he's sending out these two spies, uh, their mission is to explore this area, and and the Bible tells us especially Jericho. Jericho is a fortified city, a fortified city that is below, well below sea level. And, And as they send these two spies out, they come across a woman, a prostitute, whose name was Rahab. This continues here in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And so the king of Jericho knows that the spies are coming. Uh, Maybe he's got some counterintelligence going. And he knows these spies are here. And so he wants to find them out. He knows what they're up to. He knows that these spies have been sent to figure out how Jericho, a great fortified city, can be attacked What are its weaknesses? How might Israel come and take over Jericho and then possess the land? And so this king knows it. And the king sends out, verse 3, to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who've come to you, who entered your house. For they've come to search out the land. But the woman had taken two men and hidden them. So here's what we know about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. A prostitute. In the Hebrew here, the word is the common word for prostitute. In other words, she wasn't a cultic prostitute. Her occupation as a prostitute was not because of what was going on in those, that area with cultic practices. No, she was a common prostitute uh, earning a living by having sex outside of marriage. This is sin. And you might think it maybe it's even the worst kind of sin. Certainly it's uh, the sin of adultery. But there's something about it that even goes beyond that, that it's even illegal in our culture. And so this sin of prostitution is something that Rahab has been engaging for some time now, so much so that it's part of her identity. The Bible even identifies her as such. Not only is she Rahab, but in case you knew other Rahabs, the Bible makes it clear she's Rahab the prostitute. And yet this prostitute has taken the spies of Israel in. Now as she's taken these spies in, we're told that the king even sins to Rahab and, and says, I, I need them. Anyone who's in your house. I need who's in your house. I am looking for these spies. I am on a search. I know they're here. But we're told, verse 4, that this woman, Rahab, a prostitute, took these two men and hid them. She said, True, these men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was closed at the dark, the men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Verse 6, we're told that she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flask that she had laid out in the order of the roof. So the men pursued what they thought were these spies on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, but the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. In other words, Rahab, this prostitute, hid the spies. She hid the spies in such a way that they could not be found. And not only that, But when she was asked by the king himself to bring everyone out, she said, yes, I saw these two men, but they're not here anymore. And you need to go chase them. In other words, she told a lie. Now much has been written about this little lie that Rahab told. People sometimes wonder, well, maybe this is indicative of just the reality that, yeah, Rahab was a sinner. I mean, look, she's a prostitute after all, and so... Not much has probably changed in her life. You know, she's probably still very broken, very fallen. And so even though she's protecting these two men, she's a liar. I mean, that's just what she does for a living. She's a liar. Someone who's going around and sleeping with men. She's, she's dishonest. Others have said, well, maybe her lie is justified. It's that great philosophical question. Is it possible to tell a good lie? If that lie leads to something just. After all, it's because of Rahab's lie that the two spies from Israel are saved from the king. I think a lot of this is just overanalyzing. I think what we're meant to see here in the book of Joshua that Rahab, a prostitute, someone who's low in the culture, a woman... A woman who was a prostitute, no less, took great risk to protect two men of Israel. She took great risk, not only hiding them, but lying to the king. And so I think we've got to be careful. We have to be careful not to distance ourselves too far from Rahab. Perhaps for you this morning, it's easy to do. After all, yes, she is a woman, and we're men, but she's also a prostitute. And though we're sinners, I mean, who among us have ever engaged in that? But the truth is, we are all Rahab. We are all Rahab in so many ways, not the least of which, her sin, the sin of adultery. Jesus said, if you even look lustfully at a woman, that you are committing adultery. And who among us hasn't struggled with lust or committed that sin? But it goes way beyond breaking the commandment, do not commit adultery. You see, we are Rahab because the Bible describes us not only as the bride, the bride of God, but when the Bible talks about his bride, especially in the Old Testament, The Bible talks about us as his bride, as God's people, and it talks about our sin. It doesn't just describe it in terms of immorality or even disobedience and breaking God's commands. Yes, that's all true about sin. But the Bible also uses the picture of adultery. You see, the idea is this. If we are the bride of Christ as his people, if we are the bride of God and he is our husband, then when we sin, when we disobey him, when we turn our attention to idols... Not only is it immoral, not only is it disobedient, but it is nothing less than adultery. It's as if we are cheating on our husband, God. As if we are cheating, we are breaking our marriage vows to God as his bride. And so the truth is we're all Rahab, every one of us. Every one of us. We've committed adultery, yes, as Jesus said, when we've looked lustfully. At a woman, but we've also committed adultery against God every time we turn our attention to an idol. And so we cannot distance ourselves from Rahab. We are all Rahab. But the other thing that we have to ask is why. Why would Rahab go to such great lengths to protect these two men from Israel? After all, she's she's in Jericho. She has... No connection to Israel whatsoever. Why would she do this? Why would she take such great personal risk for their safety? Well, to answer that question, I want us to look at the second thing. Rahab's plea. First, we looked at Rahab's sin, her sin of adultery, and we see we're just like her, and now we're looking at Rahab's plea. I want you to look at Joshua 2, verse 8. We're told before these men lay down, she came to them. And verse 9, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt." Why did Rahab go to such great lengths to protect them? Because she has a fear. It's the same fear that we talked about a couple weeks ago. She has begun to develop a fear of the Lord. Why? She has heard about what God, their God, the God of Israel, what he did to deliver his people through the Red Sea. She's heard that. Not only that, but she's heard how the Lord has given them the promised land. And how as the Israel has moved into the promised land, they are conquering all. And so there's great fear. Fear not only of Israel, but fear of the Lord. So much so, verse 11, she says, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. Right? Right? This idea of melting in Hebrew, it's this idea of despair. The very thought of what God is doing through Israel and conquering the promised land and conquering this new uh, place for, for God's glory. It's melted their hearts. She's developed a sense of awe and a sense of reverence for God and his people. So notice what she says next. The end of verse 11. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is Rahab's profession of faith. What we see here is not only is she seeing what the people of God are doing for God's glory. Not only is she seeing what God is doing in them, through them, and for them. But because of all of that, because of the way that he's delivered his people Israel, this woman from Jericho now acknowledges and even professes that your God is now my God. She says, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above. And on the earth beneath. You see, when an unbelieving world sees the belief of God's people, when an unbelieving world sees the faith of the church, when an unbelieving world sees how God delivers his people and redeems sinners, just like you and me, then they begin to recognize their own sin, just like Rahab did. They begin to recognize that this God, your God, he's now my God. And so out of this faith, this profession that she makes in verse 11, this is her plea in verse 12. She says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, as I've dealt kindly with you, you also will do kindly with me in my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Rahab's plea is really like a prayer. She's saying, look, I I believe the Lord your God is the God of the heavens and the earth. And so I'm pleading with you. I'm, I'm begging you. I'm crying out for mercy. I see how God has delivered you, and now I'm crying out for deliverance. That when you take over this city, Jericho, spare my life. Spare my life, Rahab says, and spare the life of my family. It's a a plea of, of desperation, of great dependence and need. And in many ways, it reminds me of the prayer from the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. These two men go to the temple to pray and the Pharisee says, God, thank you that I'm not like this other man, this sinner. And so often that's how we might feel even towards someone like Rahab. Thank you that I'm not a prostitute like Rahab. Thank you that I don't sin that bad. That we're justifying ourselves by comparing one sin to another when all God sees is destruction. All he sees is sin. And yet it's the Pharisee the sinner who stands in the back of the temple, and all he could mutter is, God, be merciful to me, sinner. Christ, have mercy. That is Rahab's plea. She professes her faith. She recalls what God did to deliver his people Israel. And now this woman from Jericho is saying, have mercy, deliver me as well author of Hebrews recognizes that this faith that Rahab had was genuine. It's why in Hebrews 11 verse 31 he says, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish. But in her plea, in her cry to these two men, it was like a prayer, a prayer of faith, saying God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so this is what happens next. The book of Joshua goes on in chapter 2, verse 15, and tells us how Rahab then helps these two spies uh, get out through a window, through a rope, and get even uh, through this city wall. And as they make their way, this is what the men tell her in verse 17. They say, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house in the street, his blood shall be on his own head, for we shall be guiltless. Verse 21. And she said, according to your words, so it be. And so she sent them away, and they departed. She tied a scarlet cord in their window. That scarlet cord is significant, not only because as they came into Jericho, they could see it in her window and they knew not to attack her particular house, but the color scarlet symbolizes sin. In particular, the color scarlet symbolizes the sin of adultery. Now, if you've ever read the scarlet letter, uh, that's where that idea comes from, at least where they borrowed it. But it actually goes all the way back to the Bible. In fact, the book of Revelation chapter 17 tells us that there's a great prostitute and that she is dressed in scarlet. This color red symbolizing sin, symbolizing adultery. It led to her freedom. It led to her deliverance. But it was a reminder of her desperation for mercy. And so finally, the third thing I want us to look at We've looked at Rahab's sin, we've looked at her plea, and now we look at Rahab's deliverance. I want you now to go to Joshua 6 and turn it into Bible again. Just keep working your way through the handout. Joshua 6, verse 1. We're told that Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. So now you've got this. I want you to picture in your mind a fortified city with great walls. And now Israel has surrounded the city. They have laid siege on the city. No one is going in. No one is coming out. Verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priest will blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall go shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall flat. And the people shall go up and everyone straight before him. Now those few things I want you to notice about this incredible story. The first is this, that we see this as a theme and a pattern in the book of Joshua, that God gives a command first and then Joshua follows it. Joshua is never just doing things on his own. He's always obeying the command of God, no matter how crazy that command might seem. And this particular command is pretty strange. Here they are, they've laid siege to a city, and rather than engage in siege warfare, They're supposed to just march around the city for seven days, blowing trumpets then on the seventh day. And they're supposed to actually be quiet, to not say a word until that seventh day. And as the ram's horn blows, they're supposed to give this great shout. And the walls are just going to come tumbling down. Now, why would God instruct them to do such a bizarre thing? Well, it's for his glory. Because God works in mysterious ways. And not only will the people of Israel, but even the people of Jericho recognize that only God could have done this. Only God could have brought the walls of Jericho down. The last thing I want you to notice is that these trumpets that are blowing. I don't want you to picture a, a trumpet like we might think of. You know, a big brass trumpet. But we're told that these, these trumpets, seven trumpets of ram's horns, it's called a shafar. Now, uh, 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 or this idea of, of, of a ram's horn being blown, if you've ever been to our Maundy Thursday service, and of course, this last time, it was just remarkable what we were able to see, even online. But the last couple years, we've actually had someone come and, and blown A shofar, a ram's horn. It was actually used uh, in in times of war, uh, in times of battle. This shofar blown was almost like a battle cry. That's what they're blowing. These seven trumpets blasted by seven priests blasting this battle cry from a shofar. These blowing of the shofar reminded God's people that he was at work, that he was the one leading him into battle and that he would give them victory. And so as the story continues in Joshua 6, we see how Joshua leads the people of Israel to do this exact thing. They're marching around uh, this Jericho walls for six days and then the people of Israel on the seventh day, verse 15, they rise early and at dawn they march around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. God gave his people victory that day as the trumpets blew. Verse 17, we're told that the city and all that was in it was devoted to the Lord for destruction. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, the idea that it's devoted to the Lord for destruction, that is the idea of harem warfare. That the people of Israel are enacting God's judgment. That God is actually bringing judgment to the city of Jericho through the people of Israel. And as the people of Israel attack, it is God at work, God bringing judgment. Verse 17 goes on and tells us, Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. As God's judgment comes upon Jericho through his people Israel, Rahab's life is spared. She is delivered. And so later, at the end of this passage in Joshua 6, Joshua goes, he tells his men The two men who spied out the land, and he says this in verse 22. He says, go into the prostitute's house, Joshua says, and bring out from her house the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. And so the young men brought out the spies who went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all that belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. So Joshua commands that not only does Rahab live, but that she can come and live among Israel. Her and her family, her father and mother and brothers and all who belong to her. Rahab and her family were spared. They were delivered from God's judgment according to Joshua's command. Rahab, you may not know, went on to live with great fame in the Bible. She matters to the people of God, not only because of this moment, but she matters to us this morning. Because if you go to the book of Matthew, and you read the genealogy of Jesus, and you trace it back to David, if you go a little further back, you'll come to a woman, a prostitute named Rahab. You see, it was through Rahab. That not only were God's people able to conquer Jericho, but it was through a sinner, a prostitute named Rahab, whom God delivered that day, that he would then eventually send the great deliverer, Jesus Christ. The name Joshua in Hebrew is the name Yeshua. It also happens to be the name Jesus. You see, Jesus is also Yeshua in Hebrew. Jesus is the greater Joshua, the greater deliverer. The name Yeshua, Jesus, means rescuer. It means deliverer. It's what the name Joshua means. Jesus is the greater Joshua, the greater deliverer, who has saved us from God's judgment. And though our sins are as scarlet, just like Rahab's, The Bible tells us of another battle. A battle where a great blast of trumpets will come again. The book of Revelation chapter 7 begins to describe this great battle. The battle that will occur when Christ returns in victory to conquer sin and death and the devil once and for all. And at this great battle we are told that the trumpets will blow once again. Seven trumpets will blow And as these seven trumpets blow, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will stand in victory, our great deliverer. And though our sins are as scarlet, he will dress us in robes of white. And he will restore us as the bride he has always covenanted himself to, the bride that he has promised, he has vowed to, the the bride that he even died for. Jesus is our greater Joshua, and we, just like Rahab, desperately need his deliverance. This morning, I ask you, I plead with you, I encourage you to return to Jesus. Wherever this pandemic finds you, whatever questions you have, whatever fears you have, Use this time now as you work through the discussion questions to really consider the ways in which you are just like Rahab. I am too. But also the way that Jesus, our greater Joshua, has delivered us from sin and given us victory over the grave. That's what we celebrate in this Easter season, the great hope that we have in the resurrection. Let me pray for us, and I can send you on your way. God, Be with my brothers now as they work through these questions. Lord, as they continue to isolate, I pray for them, provide for them, watch over them and keep them. And this morning, turn them to our great deliverer, Jesus Christ. Show them, show me the way that you've redeemed us from sin and death. ask this in Christ's strong name. Amen.